Being able to walk on to UConn was such an experience because Coach Calhoun taught us a lot. And a lot of it was not all about basketball. It was a lot in regards to discipline, accountability, being a good teammate. Coach always said, without excitement or enthusiasm, you can't accomplish huge and big things and lofty goals, right? And being in sales or being in sports, every day you wake up and everything starts from zero again. It's almost as if you have to program yourself to wake up every single day and still have that excitement. That's what we did at UConn. Every single day, the coaches would push us to really dig deep and find out a couple things about ourselves that we didn't know either. That's what we do in business too. We try to push ourselves and we try to reinvent ourselves every single day to get better. Getting to the top, it's easy, but maintaining it and motivating your team to stay at that high level peak performance is critical. Ace Watanas Suparp has exceeded expectations at everything he's done in life. As an undersized underdog, he was able to walk onto the basketball team at UConn, the most successful college basketball program in America over the past 25 years in terms of winning national championships with five titles. As a Cutco sales rep for one summer, Ace was a top performer in the New York City area, and he has parlayed that success into an amazing career in the mortgage banking industry, as well as entrepreneurial ventures in the restaurant industry. He's now embarking on the greatest journey in his banking career, starting his own mortgage bank. Ace Watanasuparp knows what it takes to achieve sustained excellence in business and in life, and he shares his best habits and strategies in this conversation today. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I have a really, really unique and great guest today named Ace Watanasuparp. Ace sold Cutco in the summer of 2001. He worked in a branch office with Justin Kim. Shout out to Justin for introducing us for this podcast episode. Ace sold over $20,000 that summer, so he had a very successful run with Cutco during that summer. He went to UConn. He played basketball on the UConn basketball team. Yes, the legendary team that has won five national championships here in the last uh, 25 years. Ace also went to NYU Law School. After college, he got into the mortgage industry where he has had tremendous success. 
progressing up to a role with Citizens Bank, where he was a senior vice president and national director of strategic sales. Ace is now launching his own mortgage bank. It's going to be called Swish Capital. He is the kind of guy that has exceeded expectations at pretty much everything he's done in life. So he's got a lot of great lessons and ideas to share today. I'm very grateful to have you on the podcast, Ace. Welcome. Oh, Dan, thank you so much for that uh, wonderful introduction. I don't know if I deserved all that, but uh, thank you, Dan. Happy to be here. All right. Nice. Well, Ace, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your personal background? Yeah. So uh, like Dan said, I started my career at uh, Cutco basically um, right when I was uh, out of college. You know, I went to school at UConn. was was a pretty timid individual, right? Um, very shy. I would say naturally an introvert. And I thought Cutco was the best way to get me out there, right? Just selling knives, right? Like the ergonomical handles. I still remember Justin giving us the training. Shout out to Justin. He was an amazing branch manager at the time. And as a young student, and there were a bunch of other students there too, you're just trying to figure out who you want to be, what you want to do. And I think Cutco really provides that platform for you to really learn in in terms of just dealing with objectives, right? Dealing with just rejection from place to place to place. And that summer, like you mentioned, I sold about $20,000 worth of knives, but it took a lot. It took a lot of preparation, training, getting over my fears. And I thought, you know, even till today, I tell a lot of the folks at the bank, I want them to go into sales of some sort, right? At a very, very early stage of their careers, because it really helps and shapes who you are as a person. And it kind of builds that sort of that character and confidence that, you know what, in life, you're always going to have no, right? And I was lucky to experience Cutco at a very early stage of my career because, you know, I was always afraid of rejection. I was always timid, shy. Cutco broke through all those barriers for me. Were you born and raised in New York City? Yeah, I was born and raised in upstate Suffern, upstate New York. And we moved when I was one to Queens. Okay. Uh, to Woodside. So literally uh, spent my whole life in Woodside. My parents are still in Woodside in Queens, New York. And yeah, I've been in Manhattan now. I've li- I live in Manhattan for the last 12 years. But you know, my roots are in Queens, Woodside. Yeah. And I understand you're half Thai and half Taiwanese. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. My mom is Taiwanese and my, my father is from Thailand. So I'm half and half. Yeah. All right. All right. So how did you hear about Cutco in summer of 2001? Oh, I think actually, I don't remember, but I think I saw it in an ad somewhere, or I may have walked by the storefront. I believe it was in Flushing at the time in uh, on Northern Boulevard. And I just saw a bunch of people in a meeting. And I'm like, what is going on? So I kind of popped my head in there and met with Justin. And, and there were a lot of kids going in and out of, of the office. So I was like, wow, this seems like a really pretty happening, you know, a lot of good energy here. And, and, and they're having some important meeting. I kind of watched the meeting. I think Justin was training the team and his staff on actually how to execute on, on selling cocoa knives. And at first I was hesitant, but Justin, you know, have you ever met him? He's, he was so, his whole demeanor and, and, and selling cocoa, he took it so seriously and he had a good value prop to why people should buy cocoa. And I was like, you know what? Like he sold me on, on why I should have a set of cocoa knives. Right? So I'm like, all right, you know what? And looking at the product, looking back at the product, it was actually some of the best knives and, and scissors I've, I've ever even had. I think my mom still has it till today, Dan, right? So right. 
think the product sold itself. And there's just so much energy in the branch. I was like, well, you know what? Let me be a part of this. And it was almost like love at first sight, right? Like I, I got in. He's like, Ace, you can do it. You were a walk in at UConn. You got this. It wasn't easy though, Dan. I'll, I'll tell you that. You know, they're like, what? <laughs> like, cut go, what? So, but yeah, you know, you go through. I still remember it's so crazy. I would cut the knot with the scissor. The best one was when I took the coin and cut it with the scissor. They're like, whoa. So, <laughs> I mean, the, uh, it's, uh, Look, you know, when you have a good product, it's easy to sell, right? And I think it was just a matter of, I think what Cutco really did was it taught me how to have sort of an overview on the product, but more importantly, learn uh, the needs. And it kind of took me through sales 101, actually, right? What is the current sort of need of the customer and how can this new product create a better solution or a better experience for the customer. And I got really good at it. And one thing led to another. One family referred me to the next family, referred me to the next family. And it was just like in anything else that we do in life, right? You do good by one client and then the rest is history. So yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure that's come in handy in building a mortgage business. Oh, definitely. I mean, I mean, some of the, some of the things that I, I tell my sales team all the time is you got to understand your target audience. You got to understand your consumers, right? So the more that you understand what their needs are, the more you can help service. And one of the things that I didn't realize my success at Cutco was because I listened to the families on, you know, what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I was able to, I didn't just go in and just sell the Cutco product right away. I actually talked to them about, well, what do you like about your knives and things? And believe it or not, not a lot of people know why they buy them, the, the sets that they, that they buy, right? So for me, listening to what mattered to them as it pertained to like cutting and, and just stuff that they had in the kitchen was uh, phenomenal because I was able to really sell the value prop after I gave them the opportunity to kind of tell me what they were looking for. So yeah, cool. Nice. Any other lessons or experiences that stand out from that summer? Just the product of uh, fear, just being overcoming. Because look, at the end of the day, with selling Cutco, you had to present. And at that age, that was actually my first real job, Dan, right? Selling Cutco knives. So I went right into it. I don't even remember how old I was. It actually taught you to really, really work on your public speaking, your form of communication, how you deliver, and how you actually close, right? Like, what are you going to say when you're going to drop the mic, right? (laughs) On them. So a lot of things that Coco taught me that I still bring with me today is just the raw authenticity of just being genuine, being you. You want to be true to who you are. And I think that sort of transcends and, and that carries over to, to all things, all aspects of life. Yeah, so. for sure. Great. Cool stuff. Thanks for sharing that. No, no problem, Dan. Of course. And, and you were a walk-on college basketball player at UConn during this time. I was, I was, you know, I would be coming home every, every summer, but during the season, I'd be practicing with the team. I was on the team. Yeah. With Karan Butler, Emeka Okafor, Ben Gordon, those guys. I went to the final four in San Antonio in 2004 and saw Emeka at least was still there. I don't, I don't remember if, I don't remember if Karan Butler was still there. Ben Gordon uh, was probably still there. So yeah, Emeka was my roommate actually. Saw them beat Georgia Tech for the national championship. In That's fact, it. Ace, I have a lot of college hats, Ace. I was trying to see if I could dig up all the hats of teams that UConn has beaten for the title. I got San Diego oh, State. Look at I that. got Duke. I got Kentucky. 
I don't have a Georgia Tech hat or a Butler hat, but man, your school has five national championships uh, in the last 25 years. That's pretty wild. Um, I was super proud, super proud of the team. We had three guys that made it to the NBA uh, this past offseason. So Adamo, Billy Hawkins, and then Jackson. Yeah. uh, drafted to the NBA. So super, super proud of the, of the, of the team. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about walking on as an Asian American. There are not a lot of Asian kids in basketball at that time. Even, even today there still aren't, but, uh, what was that like? Growing up, I, I never really saw like my race or, or anything. I'll be honest, uh, Dan, sports is truly one of those things where it kind of unifies all different walks of life. The minute we walk on the court, Almost everyone's the same, right? They're going to judge you by if you can ball, right? It's one of those things where sports truly unifies all different folks from different countries, different backgrounds, different cultures, ethnicities. But being able to walk on to UConn was such an experience because Coach Calhoun taught us a lot in regards to things off and on the court. And I think a lot of things that I carry with me today, I was taught during my time at UConn, right? And a lot of it was not all about basketball, it was a lot in regards to discipline, accountability, the fact that being a good teammate, and there's just so many things, right? In terms of being uh, selfless, a lot of things that he taught that we probably didn't realize at the time was that you're as strong as your weakest link. Meaning if you came to practice and you walked, walked on the court five minutes late, everybody's running suicides, right? Not just that person that came in late. So the accountability was huge, coach. Coach would be in our faces, you know, regardless whether we're winning games, losing games. If you didn't go to class, you'd be suspended. You know, I remember he suspended one of our top, top players and we're going into the Big East tournament and that player didn't play. Right. And he was teaching us something more than just basketball because we could have lost. And coach, that would have been on him that we lost the game. But because that player missed class, he did not start or play in that game. And we were shocked. I was like, wow, this is real. You know, he's teaching us something that it's just not, not about basketball, right? It's, it's a lot more. And, and we went onto the team as boys and we, we graduated from the team as men, you know, and that's something that I truly, truly appreciate from Coach Calhoun every single day. Yeah. It's incredible that you have had this great opportunity to be around a leader like Jim Calhoun. Cause yeah, I'm, I'm a massive college basketball fan. And so I know, like, I know his reputation and just what he brought. And I'm just so excited for you that you had that chance to be around somebody like him at that formative time in your life. Yeah. Coach Allen was a huge inspiration and a huge mentor, right? Again, you know, he checks in on, on us uh, at least once every quarter, just to see how we're doing. I check up on him. So it's, it's truly a family. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And the lesson of accountability such a great lesson, right? Every team member was held to the same level of accountability. If one person was late, everybody had to run suicides, as you said. It just teaches you that like what you do matters, right? I mean, right. I think it's one of the key things people learn selling Cutco as well. It's like they, there's a direct connection between your paycheck and your level of activity and your skill level, right? And so you just learn that there has to be, the buck has to stop with you at some point in life, right? And it's just, it's a good thing to learn earlier on as opposed to later down the road, or some people never learn that lesson. Right. So that was, that was a cool, cool concept as well. And look, one of the things that he taught us, you know, every time before we even picked up a basketball, we'd have to clap 
every single morning before we start practice. Everyone's clapping. And we used to always wonder, why are we clapping, coach? No one's in the gym. It's just us 16 guys, right? And coach always said, you know, without excitement or enthusiasm, you can't accomplish huge and, and big things and, and lofty goals, right? And being in sales or being in sports, every day you wake up, everything starts from zero again. And I think, you know, whether you're selling Cutco or whether you're in the, in the banking industry, the saying, you're as good as your last deal. It's almost as if you have to program yourself to wake up every single day and still have that excitement, right? You got to motivate yourself to figure out and, and learn something new about your trait. And I think that's what we did at UConn, right? Every single day, we're figuring out how do we get better each and every single day on the hardwood? How do we get better in the training, in the training room? And, and every single day, the coaches would push us to really, really dig deep and, and find out a couple of things about ourselves that we didn't know either, right? And I think that's what we do in business too. Right. Uh, we try to push ourselves and we try to reinvent ourselves every single day to get better. Right. You're a top producer this year. How do you become a top producer the following year and the third year and the fourth year and the fifth year? And I think that's what's been a key to my success in my career in terms of where I've been, whether it's been Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Citizens Bank, Citibank. I've always tried to figure out, okay, now that I'm at, at my highest peak performance, how do I stay here? Right. Because getting championships, it's easy. But how do you go, go for the second repeat, third repeat? That's the hardest, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're already on top. Getting to the top, it's easy, but maintaining it and motivating Mm -hmm. your team to stay at that high level peak performance is, is critical. And I think that's, and, and, and look, it takes a village, right? For someone to be at a certain level, whether you're a basketball player or whether you're selling cut go or whether you're in the bank. It's not just a one-man show. You have so many people that are involved behind the scenes to help that one person excel and continue to be and perform at the highest level. Yeah, I love that distinction between getting to the top versus staying there. That's right. right. That uh, it's one thing to get there, but to be able to continue to perform, to be able to continue to elevate once you're you know, at the top of your field, at the top of what you do, that's a, that's a distinctly different challenge as well that uh, carries with it its own difficulties that you have to work through. So yeah. that's that a great point. Who have been some of your role models, whether it be in basketball or otherwise? Oh, wow. Basketball, definitely Karan has been a dear friend. I've been a huge role model for myself. Ray Allen, another UConn alum, one of the best shooters, Jesus uh, Shuttlesworth. <laughs> and uh, role models in terms of business, I would say Dottie Herman. She hired me when I was 28 to become the president for DE Capital, which, which was a joint venture at, at Wells Fargo. Dottie's the CEO of Douglas Elliman, which is the number one real estate firm in New York City. So she, she really, really gave me the confidence at a very young age to really be comfortable in my own skin. And uh, Howard Lorber, who was the other CEO, Douglas Elliman as well. And then there's been a couple of others, Sonia Mattal, Eric Schupenhauer at Citizens Bank. But I think it's important to have role models and mentors that you look up to, right? I think that's a critical piece. You want to surround yourself with people that... And, and one of the things that I want to tell people if they're listening uh, to this is that it's easy to surround yourself with people that don't believe in you, right? It's even that much harder to find people that believe in you, inspire you to be who you are, and will allow you to make those mistakes. And if you find those folks... 
and you can learn from them, hold on to them tight because there's few far in between of those folks. And I think that's been the biggest difference in my career. I've been blessed and grateful. And I think I have the wherewithal and the, and the awareness to realize that, that I do have these folks in my life that have been huge role models. But understanding that and not wanting to disappoint them are very two paradigms as well, right? Because I realized that I had folks that believed in me, such as Coach Calhoun, Dottie Herman, Howard Lorber, all these folks, it made me go that extra mile to not disappoint them, right? Because of the fact that I knew that there was a lot at stake. I knew that these folks were highly successful billionaires, right? Howard is a billionaire. Dottie is a multi-billionaire as well, millionaire, right? Coach Calhoun, one of the best coaches that ever coached the game of basketball. I knew that I was around some really, really special, unique folks, and I didn't want to let them down. So I gave it 110% every single day for my mentors, right? I was lucky enough to work for them. So they were a close sort of spheres of influences in my life. But the fact that I didn't want to let them down each and every single day made me become a better leader and a better person because of that. Outstanding. How are you inspired to pay that forward, Ace? And in particular, I'd love for you to take the angle of uh, being a role model for Asian Americans, because I know that that was something that, particularly when you got into basketball, was important to you that uh, you were a role model for a lot of others. I I, I Um, I just love to hear hear more about that. Yeah, I didn't realize, uh, like I told you, uh, Dan, in the beginning, I, I, I saw no difference in my skin or race or anything like that. I only realized that I made an impact when all these other Asian Americans started reaching out and saying, Ace, you've been such an inspiration. You know, you're not that tall. <laughs> you know, you're five nine. You don't fit the mold. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> but it's been such a blessing, even in business, even at the corporate level, to be at the position that I'm in at Citizens Bank and now the opportunity to own my own bank. At my age today, being Asian American, there's just so many sort of ceilings that the folks have seen as myself breaking barriers, right? And I think for me, my assistant always tells me, Ace, your schedule is so busy. How do you have time to take on these meetings with folks that you don't even know, right? And from social media. But I'll tell you this, Dan, some of the biggest life lessons that I've had, I actually met someone through social media and he came in not knowing him at all. He came in, met with myself. He was he just graduated college gave him maybe five, 10 minutes of my time. And then we kept in touch. We were almost like pen pal buddies. Like he would DM me. He would ask me questions on how to navigate. And now he's a partner at Oppenheimer, right? One of the biggest biggest hedge funds. And now I'm starting my own company through some of the restaurants and the bank. And he's offered to help me IPO. And he always remembered the time where he reached out to me out of the blue and I just gave him 10 minutes, 15 minutes of, of my time, right? So, so going back to your question about paying it forward to the younger generation, I think it's not even about paying forward. I think this applies to all, all, all human beings, right? I think when you're in a position of strength or, or you have a platform, or let's say you're a top producer at a company, even at Cutco, and a lot of times when you're 1099 or you're in sales, it's all about myself, 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 right? But I think you get more and you learn more about yourself when you teach others, when you pay it forward. So for me, I realized that it's not about 
ACEs goals anymore, right? When I look to open up my own mortgage bank, it's more about how do I, how do I help my team make more money? How do I help them have a better quality of life, right? And how do I actually help share my experiences or help create a blueprint so that they don't have to go through the same mistakes in their careers, right? So these are all hacks. I call it hacks that I try to actually give for free, right? Because I, I do think that paying it forward is so important, especially in these sort of evolution of, of like just having the younger generation understand that, look, you know what? I have someone to look up to. I have someone that looks like me, walks like me, breathes like me, eats like me. And, and they broke barriers as well, right? And I think everyone needs that confidence and sort of that motivation to know that, you know, someone's there to help them as well, right? Because it's one thing to have that sort of that person that you look up to, but it's another to have the person that you look up to actually spend some time with you and uh, shed some experiences and some light. So I, I think, I think it's incumbent upon all of us once we get to a certain place and, and you don't have to own your own company or do anything like that to give back. I think if you're a top producer or you're excelling in something, just talking about your best practices and sharing your, sharing some of your systems that you have in place, it goes a long way, right? And the folks that are receiving that information, they'll be so grateful and so thankful that you shared that information to them. I tell everyone all the time, when you put it out there in the universe, the universe rewards you 10x more. Right. But when you, when you give with, with an expectation of getting something back, nine out of 10 times, you're going to be disappointed. But when you give for the sake of just giving, trust me when I say, and these are for all the listeners out there, I have been so blessed in so many ways where I just gave without any expectations at all. And it comes back in so many different forms. You wouldn't even believe um, the type of things that will come back in the universe, you know? So just give, pay forward, help someone when you can. And for me, I dedicate time now every week to sort of um, pay it forward. And my pay it forward is just spend time, spend time with folks that are starting up in their careers, people that want to open up their own restaurants or, or they want to come into banking. You know, I'll spend a lot of time with the younger generation to kind of walk them through my steps and some of the things that I think they could do or use or take away as best practices as well. Yeah. Well, and you're doing that right now, obviously sharing here with the Cutco Vector audience, and I appreciate that. So that was some great stuff. How'd you get into the mortgage industry, Ace? How I got into mortgage, Dan, I was always in love with real estate. My dad was a sort of uh, engineer slash carpenter. So he would always go to all these properties. I would go with him when I was younger in high school, junior high school. And I was, and, and there was always be this well-dressed gentleman coming while my dad is fixing up the boiler room or the heater or something, he's in a suit and he's picking up envelopes, right? What white envelopes? And I'm like, dad, who's this guy, right? This guy's dressed well. He comes in for like two minutes and we're here sweating for five hours. <laughs> I'm like, and he just picks up an envelope and my dad's like, that's the landlord's son, right? So I'm like, how do I become the landlord? You know, <laughs> how, do, how do we own this building, right? So my dad's like, well, son, you know, since we don't have money, the only way to leverage buying real estate is to understand the financing aspect of it. So I actually got into mortgage because I wanted to, you know, I had a a goal of owning buildings and and things of that nature. So I just had a love for real estate, fell into the business of mortgages and really started my career in 2002. 
and then worked for Wells, B of A, Citizens Bank, and now I'm starting my own venture. So it's been quite the uh, quite the ride. It's been 21 years, and uh, it's been it's been amazing. So was Citibank your first mortgage experience after yeah. college? Yes, Citibank. Yeah, and you crushed it right away there, right? I was a loan officer by my third year. I was uh, r- rookie of the year. And by my fifth year, I was like the number three producer. I just outworked everyone, Dan. You know, I, I realized I was commission-based. I would get in at 7 and leave the office at 3 a.m., believe it or not. We had this one professor. I still remember his name, Sam Brooks. He was a Trinidadian, but he was uh, we called him the professor. He knew everything about mortgages. And all he wanted was a six-pack of beer. I promised to buy him a six-pack of beer. I told him to sit next to me. I changed my seat. I sat right next to him. And I'm like, Sam, I need you to teach me everything you know about the mortgage business, right? So every single day, we're hammering away. And then at night, I would call in other states. So I worked in the New York region. I would call North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas. They're getting a call from Ace, right? I'm calling all the different territories, footprints, while everybody else is either going out to dinner, sleeping, whatever they're doing. You know, I work till 2 a.m. So look, I think success is not defined on a timeline. People think, okay, it's going to take you five years to get to where you want to be, 10 years to get to... No, you define that timeline, right? You can hack that timeline depending on how much sacrifice and how much time you put in. So, Right. And for some people, 15 hours a day is what they want to do. And it's like, it's what I did when I was new as a manager in Vector too. Like I busted my ass for a lot of years to move up quickly. For other people, that path isn't what they want. And that's okay too. That's okay too. It's a different path, different timeline, or they can make the same timeline with less hours if they learn to work smarter somehow, right? right. So I do think this whole idea of like, hey, let's work until 2 a.m. Like I did it. And like, I would encourage young people to think about, applying that same concept, particularly when they're brand new. But it just seems like these days, some people sort of shudder at that. It's like, I don't want to work till 2 a.m. Well, you don't have to. You don't have to. But it is a good lesson in what you talked about earlier about pushing yourself, about the things you learned at UConn on the basketball team. It's like there's so much that happens when we push ourselves to our limits in anything that can be very, very valuable later on as we're working more normal schedules, I guess you could say. I think, Dan, you know, one of my good buddies, Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, I've known him now for 12 years. We catch up from time to time and we're always talking about sort of grit, right? And look, I get the whole life balance and and the work-life load and things of that nature. But there's got to be a point in your your life or in your career where you sacrifice, right? And and that sacrifice, and I don't work 7 to 2 a.m. anymore. Right, because I'm in a different place in my career. But there was a time period, to your point, Dan, where I worked five years straight. You know, seven to two, cut out, sacrificed a lot of friends, a lot of a lot of family. And I'm not saying that's the right way, but through that, I learned a lot. Right, I learned to now understand the importance of family and friends and balance and all that. But you won't know and you won't find that place unless you've made those sacrifices, right? And I think in order for anyone to find any success or any any type of success, you got to really figure out what you're made of. And I think, you know, it, it's not about you not having a work-life balance. It's about you testing yourself, testing yourself on, on what levels you can go to, 
right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the critical piece here that I want folks to understand, especially the younger generation, right? Well, I don't want to work 7 a.m. to 2 a.m. I want to spend my time. I want, I want to live my life, right? But there's a, there's a point where in order for you to live that amazing life, you're going to have to make some sacrifices along the lines, right? And, and I think that's a fine balance that, that we tend to not want to talk about. You know, today it's almost taboo, right? Ace, you can't tell people to work 15 hours. They're not like you or they're not like how you were back in the day. But I tell all these kids that are younger that are coming up in the, in the company, you don't need to work 15 hours, but you really got to test yourself to see what you're made out of. And whether that's working three hours of just nonstop cold calling, right? Whatever that is, that's really where you got to test yourself. When you want to give up and you need to tap into that next level, that's really what, what I'm talking about here, right? The minute your mind says, oh, I'm exhausted. I've gotten all those calls. All these customers are saying no. Do you have the fortitude to put in an extra two hours so that you give your, and so that you allow yourself to, to get that two to three to four or five phone calls that do say yes, right? Or, or are you giving up? After three hours of just no, no, no's, right? Kind of testing that next level. That's what I'm talking about, Dan. Yeah, I love it. I think everybody should have an experience where they put their all into something for some period of time, whether it be, you know, a summer or a few years as a young person. But putting your all into something is important. And then reaching those points where you want to quit and refusing to quit moving past those points. There's so many valuable lessons that are seen in just continuing up that hill a little bit longer That's right. until you hit that crest, right? A lot of people never get to that crest because they stop. That's right. It's almost like the cold plunge, right? A lot of my buddies who just got, got into cold plunging, they'll quit once you hit a minute because it hurts so bad. But once you pass that minute, Everything is just numb, right? At that point, so it's all, so, so it's all mental, Dan. Right? It's 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 the same same concept, right? Once you get your body and your mind to get past a certain point, everything is just muscle memory at that point. But but you got to get into that repetition, and you got to get into those. I, I tell people all the time, even at the bank upstairs, you know what we're trying to build here, trying to build a company with good culture, and what we're trying to build is good habits. And that's what we're trying to build every single day outside, outside of work, your family, your friends, everything, right? You're just literally just trying to build good habits around your whole life. So mm-hmm. for sure. So you spent three years at City and then it was five years at Bank of America and about three years at Wells Fargo. And then you got into Citizens Bank. Tell us about your successes and your challenges during uh, your time at Citizens Bank. Yes, yeah, Citizens Bank. I was there for eight years. By my last year, I was the National Director of Strategic Sales, managing $48 billion of production in 28 states, traveling pretty much every other week to the different states and meeting with different people. And that uh, was a very unique and interesting time. I still remember COVID having to inspire a whole, basically nationally, a whole country, but not being able to see them, touch them. All you had was Zoom. You know, how do you motivate folks from all different uh, places? COVID really taught us to continue to adapt, evolve, grow as a company and grow as a leader. COVID taught us that we had to be more in communication with our team, especially when people felt like there was no connectivity, right? And that taught me a lot about just making people feel, how to make people feel that they're acknowledged or they're recognized. That was one of the biggest things that I took away from COVID from being so disconnected with everyone was a lot of people felt 
overworked, uh, especially in the mortgage industry where rates were at all-time low. People are refinancing all over the country. Rates were at 3%, 2.5%. So although we were doing financially well, people were feeling mentally just burnt out, right? And, and how do you stay in front of your team? How do you continually motivate them? And even in today's world where even post-COVID, people are working remote three days a week, right? We're looking at productivity levels come down. We're looking at people hiding behind a computer still and not going out and doing the hand-to-hand combat, which is meeting with your referral partners, meeting with your client base face-to-face, right? And look, technology has been great. It's been able to maximize productivity, efficiency. We're able to do a lot more with a lot less touches. But at the end of the day, relationships are critical and you got to get out there and and you got to spend the time and you got to make the time to continually build strong, lasting relationships. And I think one of the things that I've learned at Citizens Bank being a director of strategic sales on a national level was making sure that I created the ability for my leaders to have full autonomy to make mistakes, number one, because they weren't afraid to actually make decisions. And number two, having them feel inspired, having them understand what the mission statement was and having all departments understand that, right? So we would have what we call our business line reviews where everybody knew what each person's goals and targets were in each department, not just in that specific silo, because if other folks in other departments knew exactly what others were working on, they could chime in and help out, right? So that's something that I've learned and adapted and evolved uh, through the experiences as being a national director because you're traveling to 20 different states. You've got to get all of your leaders on the same page. It's not always easy. You know, different markets operate differently, right? So learning the nuances there and then having everyone fold under the same sort of master plan is critical mm-hmm. to the success of the company. But look, in the way that you go about doing it, it could be different from New York than the Carolinas, than Texas, than Florida. So understanding different cultures and different states and different personalities is critical to in being a leader. And, and that's just something that is innate as you continue to grow in, in one's career. You're going to learn that understanding how to adapt and understanding the little nuances that come with, you know, what makes people tick. I think that's been critical too, right? I think most leaders lead through goals and through vision boards and things of that nature. But I think the first thing that I learned was I needed to understand what made that person tick. Sometimes it's not driven by money. Sometimes it's not driven by recognition. Sometimes it's quality of life. Sometimes it is money. Sometimes it's all recognition. Sometimes it's, I don't know, just being highlighted in a group setting, you know, from leadership. There's just so many different things that we're not all created equal and not everybody values each category the same way. So, and the only way to know that is if you actually genuinely care, if there's just not a number. Right. If you actually spend time with your leader or your individual top producer or even all of your employees, right? If I had the ability to spend one-on-one time with all my employees, I would. And that's something that I'm implementing now. I mean, right now, building a company, it's hard, Dan, because you're running at a thousand miles per hour. But when things settle down, 
my goal is to really just spend time with each individual employee and just understanding who they are, what they want in life, things of that nature. I think it's critical. I've always shared a key principle for leadership ACE that I call AGAS, A-G-A-S. It stands for actually give a shit. Yeah. And it's, re- it's remarkable how many leaders don't I know. really get that idea. And that when you employ that idea truly in your organization, the impact that it can have on your people is immense. So I appreciate that you shared that. So all of your experience here in selling and leadership, your knowledge of the mortgage industry, it's all coming together now for you starting your own mortgage bank. Tell us about what's in store. I'm excited for it to unfold. We're going to be a bank for the folks that need it the most. We're working for all these big banks. I realized that the folks with the affluent customer gets the best rate gets the best products, right? And the folks that don't have credit or maybe a small business owner that's only been in business for less than two years, they they may not have the best rate. So for us, it's a mission for myself and my team to come up with programs and products for these subset of folks that actually need it the most, right? Uh, The folks that are starting their careers, folks that may not have credit, things of that nature. So we're going to have a lot of community products that we're going to unveil and unfold. And we're working on some green mortgages for global warming as well. Just things that that will matter and resonate with the next generation of folks. And for the baby boomers, uh, we have products for them too that want to downsize. So we're a one-size-fits-all. I can't wait to kind of share in our vision and and what we're trying to do. Um, Because I I really do think that our industry, the banking industry, it's, it's been so mundane that it's prime for someone to really kind of disrupt the landscape. And I think we have the core pieces to do so. And in some of the products that we're going to be coming out with, Dana, I want to keep you abreast of them. I think you'll, you'll think they're pretty unique and amazing as well. But I, I'm just taking 20 years of my experience, putting it all together into my own company. And uh, hopefully people will see what we're trying to do. At the end of the day, it's, it's all about creating value for our customer base and providing solutions to some of the things that they that they want to achieve in terms of home ownership and things of that nature. So outstanding. Outstanding. Well it's it's amazing to hear that you're building your own organization uh, from the ground up and I'm sure that it's going to be a very successful venture. So really uh great to hear that this is uh, the next path for you. Thank you. you. You got any last words of advice for uh the Cutco Vector audience Ace? Oh, wow. Cutco Vector audience, I would say continue to sell out there. You know, always remember you're, although you're selling product, you're always selling yourself. So one of the biggest life lessons that I've learned is no matter what you're selling, you could be selling vacuums, you could be selling ice, you could be selling anything. You're really selling yourself, right? So when you go out there and you just be who you are, right? Be genuine, be yourself and sell yourself. And then your product is secondary, right? So that's, that's one. And the last thing that I want to tell everyone is just be patient, stay true, continue to grind, continue to work on your trait and just get better each and every single day. So that's it. Be genuine, be patient and continue to just work on yourself. Keep getting better every day. Great formula for success, Ace. I appreciate all the value you brought today. You've really shared a lot of great insights that I think will help our audience to uh, maximize their own results, both uh, here at Cutco and whatever else they do next. So I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. All right, everybody. That was Ace Watanasuparp. 
love hearing that he described himself as timid and shy before selling Cutco. I certainly shared those same traits as a 17-year-old when I came into the Cutco Vector business. And learning how to sell is such a key part of growth for anyone who's like that. I mean, it's required for us to come out of our comfort zone, overcome fear in order to be successful. And in selling, we're learning about how to present ideas to somebody, uncover a need, find a solution. We learn to listen. All of these things are integral in influencing people in all walks of life, not just selling a product. I loved Ace's Yukon experience, learning discipline and accountability, how to be a good teammate, realizing that an organization can only be as strong as its weakest link and that everybody is counted upon and using that as inspiration and motivation to bring your best to everything you do. Ace also described a lot of personal characteristics that he has parlayed into his success, including his work ethic, his willingness to learn, his mental fortitude. And now as a leader, right, he likes to provide people with autonomy to make mistakes. I think that's a great part of the learning process. I think that's great also in parenting. Ace tries to provide inspiration for people and tries to understand what makes people tick in his organization, exhibiting that genuine care for others. That is all critical. Of course, Ace had some great role models, and it's so important to surround ourselves with people who believe in us. Remember that lesson that he shared, that there's all all kinds of people around us that oftentimes don't believe, but when you find those that show that genuine belief in you, spending time around them, getting into their circle, their sphere of influence where you're you are learning from them and getting individual time with them. That is a key thing that we can all do to help build success. Ace is now building his own mortgage business. In the past, we had one of the most successful builders in the mortgage industry on this podcast. His name was Chris George. It's one of my favorite episodes ever, so I want to plug it here right now. Episode number 130 with Chris George. He actually was an assistant manager for Bruce Goodman, the current CEO and president of Vector West. And there's a lot of great stories and a lot of great lessons in that episode. And we did a shorter version of it for Flashback Friday, which was episode number 260. So feel free to check out one of those if you want to learn more from one of my favorite podcast episodes. I hope you enjoyed the stories and lessons today from Ace Wadanasuparp. Thank you very much for listening to this episode today. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 